Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying only on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children. Music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc is now in the possession of the Army. Too many others know what's happening out there, and no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for mankind in the Twilight Zone. About time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects, vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded our planet with envious eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes.
Broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert, I'm your host Ryan Gable and this is The Secret Teachings Radio. If you'd like to contact the show tonight, you can email us as always at rdgable, rdgable at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media, facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings and on Twitter at tst underscore underscore radio. And our website, thesecretteachings.info, has copies of my books for sale, the ones that I've written, edited, and published myself. Used to have publishers, but just got too difficult to deal with that. It's uh, something where I can make a lot more money selling them myself. So if you go to the website and buy a book, you support the show directly. All the work that I put into every one of our broadcasts, Monday through Friday, 10 p.m. Pacific to midnight Pacific, right after Ground Zero and Clyde Lewis here on Ground Zero Radio, Aftermath, and the various applications which you listen to this show on. For those of you listening on TalkStream Live, I know there have been some issues. I'm not exactly sure what those issues are. I've spoken to Ground Zero people, and I've spoken to a few other people trying to get those issues resolved, where the feed of the show cuts out almost every night at about 18 to 20 minutes. So I'm aware of that. I appreciate you bringing this to my attention for those of you who did. And we are in the process, I'm in the process of finding the right person to speak to to try to get that problem resolved. Otherwise, our website also has our archives. So if you missed a show or if for some unfortunate reason the the feed cuts out and you can't get access to it live, you can visit our website, even if you're not a subscriber, and you can click on the archive and you can listen to the shows, download them, And you can also find links to the different radio podcast players that you want to listen to the show on. And everybody has their own own player. People want to listen on Spotify. People want to listen on uh, GeoSavin or whatever the other players are. They're all linked up there. But if you subscribe to our archive, weekly, monthly, or yearly, we have a $40 subscription deal right now. You just donate $40, friends and family, through PayPal, either the email I gave out or there's a link on the website to do it. And when you subscribe, you get access to all the shows without the monetized ads. You get a private RSS feed, so you can still take the show with you. Your app will still upload um, or update the shows. And you'll also find links to listen through that private archive on the various radio and podcast player of your choice. So you basically get access to the back end of the archive where I keep my show. So you get access to all of that, plus montages and digital copies of my books. It's it's all on the website, thesecretteachings.info. I also have, as I made a very small announcement the other night, I also have a new book that I've been working on. I have to go back and edit it, of course, and make a cover. So if anybody's interested in uh, providing me with a second pair of eyes or can do some kind of cover for the book, please let me know. I really, really appreciate that. So tonight we have Jared Murphy on the broadcast. Jared Murphy is someone who... I'm not sure if he's ever been on Ground Zero before. I don't think that he has. I know that he is friends with a lot of the same people that I'm friends with. He wrote a big book, and he's working on another one called It's Not Aliens, Worse, It's Us, Discovering Our Lost History. So Jared Murphy is going to be joining us in the second hour tonight. But I wanted to get Jared on the show because this whole week is really an alien UFO week. Everywhere you go, people are talking about Roswell. People are talking about... The, uh, the history of ufology. Last night, I thought it was kind of funny. I was preparing the show and I was kind of thinking, this, this might just be sort of um, like a fluff UFO show. That's what my, my initial thought was when I uh, was doing the show last night. 
And as I prepared the show and I and I put down the the promo onto Facebook and I I sent you know the promo over to uh, to Mike here on on uh, Ground Zero to get everything set up in the apps and whatnot. I, I, I saw uh, Ron post a picture of Clyde's promo for last night, and, I was, and I, it was literally the same exact idea that I had, uh, talking about, yeah, Roswell, but going back before Roswell, we had Murray Island on June 21st. We had uh, Kenneth Arnold on the 24th. And, of course, the Roswell event was really a series of events that took place over a number of different days. It, it didn't all happen on July 7th. So... In looking at that, looking at the history of Roswell and also Project Sign, Project Grudge, Project Blue Book, these are really the original reports into UFOs officially by the U.S. government and by the military, long before ATIP, long before Louis Elizondo, long before you heard anything about the Pentagon today and Congress and you know an office to investigate UAPs. And then, of course, you know, you had the, the you had UK, the UK, you had Canada. They had their own programs. They were working with the Central Intelligence Agency. So the whole idea of, of, of UFOs and ufology and UFO mythology goes back, sure, to the 1940s. But before Roswell, even reports we talked about last night going back to the early 1940s, like even before the end of World War II, with ghost rockets and things like Foo Fighters, and uh, 1943, a, a really interesting case out of Schweinfurt, Germany. U.S. Army Air Force personnel witnessed flying discs. This was before Kenneth Arnold. And, you know, even Kenneth Arnold from Boise, Idaho, because a lot of this, you know, UFO stuff, like Murray Island, uh, uh, Kenneth Arnold sighting, everything took place in the Pacific Northwest. Kenneth Arnold said that he saw these, these objects that were discs basically skipping across the water. It was the media... Uh, a newspaper in Oregon and the Associated Press that created this whole idea of flying saucers, uh, flying discs. They said discs that skipped across the water. Okay, that's a flying disc, a flying saucer. And that became what we know as the flying saucer. But we can go back even further. We can go back so far that we can confirm without a doubt that many of the, the, the reports from hundreds or even in some cases thousands of years on the subject of what we call ufology were happening at times in which there were no aircraft in the sky, commercial, private, whatever. So some of the things our ancestors saw were certainly things from space that were not alien spaceships. They saw comets, they saw asteroids they saw meteors they saw things that lit up in the sky that burned up in the atmosphere they saw things they didn't necessarily understand now even project blue book documented that 10 percent of the cases of what they investigated and they investigated a lot more than a few hundred uh, that the pentagon was investigating recently they said 10 percent of those hundreds if not thousands of cases they looked at were unidentifiable I didn't say they were aliens. They just said they, they weren't able to identify them. But that's a lot, of, a lot of cases from the official Blue Book report after Project Sign and Project Grudge from the late 40s into the 50s into the late 60s. The project supposedly ended sometime in the late 60s. So Project Blue Book determined 10% were unidentified. Now, again, that doesn't mean they're alien spaceships. It just means that perhaps today we're also looking up into the sky and we're seeing things 
that, like our ancestors, we can't really identify, so they can become portents and omens. Maybe to our ancestors, as, as we know historically, comets were signs of the decline of a kingdom or an empire or the death of a king or a queen or a lord or some leader. Today, we, we can look up in the sky and we can see things. We don't identify them. You know, sometimes it's because of lack of information. Like, I've been to events where people look up in the sky and you can clearly see a satellite and people think it's some mothership from some, some alien federation or something. But generally speaking, there are lots of things we look up in, into the sky today and see and we don't know what they are. So they, yes, they're UFOs, but... Are there just things in nature? That's the really big question for me. Are there really just things in nature that we don't we don't know how to identify yet, but they're very, very natural? And are we today just like our ancestors looking up into the sky and we see these things as omens or portents or some kind of uh, you know bad sign in the heavens, but really it's something natural that has no supernatural thing uh, connected to it? We just don't understand it. So we create this whole idea that those unidentified things, and even sometimes because of lack of information and context and perspective, those things you know that people see who don't have those, those that context, perspective, and point of view, will see those things as alien spaceships. So we, we, we see them as that. We see them as such. We see them as these alien craft, and we develop a kind of theology around it, a kind of mythology around it. And that doesn't mean that I don't, want to talk about Roswell or I don't want to talk about UFOs or UAPs. It's just there's so much more than just these stories. And there's so much more than just little green men that I find it to be a disservice to not go beyond and in some cases go far beyond the the standard stories of UFOs. I want to know, yes, what's out there. But the truth isn't necessarily out there. What's out there is information. What's out there is experience. And only with that information, only with that experience, and only with an open mind to it, can we determine what the truth is that may exist, quote, out there. Because we're never going to find it if we keep going into the past and dwelling on the past and not understanding that there are things that, sure, that, that matter from the past in the past, but we tend to ignore some of the most important things that happened in the past and some of those most important things happening today because for some people it's, you know, politically expedient to talk about UFOs. Some people it's not. For some people, the, the subject of UFOs is just kind of like a game, which is fine. You know, people want to dress up and have a good time. That's no big deal with that. And but I, I really think that there is, there is more to be uncovered, more to be discovered. There's more to be found here on earth that does not come from the heavens. So we turn our eyes to the skies and we search the vastness of space or we turn to the annals of history in the 1940s and we do, those, we do these things, and I think we tend to forget that proof, that elusive proof, that disclosure that so many of us wish to discover, that absolute fact of discovery, may be more demonstrable through accounts of human civilization, ancient civilization. 
And yes, I, I do mean, yes, what people call ancient aliens, etc. But uh, that's not necessarily what I'm, I'm referring to. At the very least, I think we should prevent ourselves by acquiring information from forgetting who we are and where we come from. And I don't think we should abandon these pursuits and discoveries in exchange for proving the existence of a totally otherworldly non-human race. I don't think that it's a good sign for a, a group of people to be more interested in protecting or more interested in discovering that of another race when there is much we still need to discover about our own race. That doesn't mean that we don't, we don't proceed forward and progress with technology and but I think we need, to, we need to focus a little bit on ourselves. I think we need to focus a little bit on our history first. And I think everything else will come as a result of that. Uh, new finds are already changing our history by the day and proving that our ancestors were much more sophisticated than anything we could possibly imagine today. Anything that um, is considered advanced or progressed today within the context of the times might not be so progressive in regards to technology and in relationship to ancient civilizations, ancient history. There's just a 3,400-year-old Mitanni Empire city found around the Tigris River. 3,400-year-old city emerges from the river because of drought. And this city was a massive, massive series of facilities, a massive fortification with walls and towers, also a multi-story storage facility and an industrial complex, all of this under the water for God knows how long, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of years. They date it to 3400 to the Mitanni Empire, but we've also seen the dates of other things go back much, much further than what is what is estimated. Five ceramic vessels contained a series of cuneiform tablets, which of course would be very, very important for anthropologists and archaeologists and linguists and others that want to study history and, and, and who these people were. This complex, um, some of it had been unearthed before from what I read. So they've, they've done some of the the um, analysis of it, and now this whole thing, this big giant city has come unearthed from a drought and the water, the water disappearing and drying up. So there are literally just, there are hundreds, there are probably thousands of cases of things like this that we just don't hear about. We don't, it's not something that media is interested in really promoting or I found one article on this in a science publication um, by, by having to dig. And if you dig further, you can find a few more. But I had, to, I had to dig to find this thing. It was in Science Daily from June 1st. A 3,400-year-old city emerges from the Tigris River. This is something that I feel should be at least considered, I don't know, a, a partial headline. I, I mean, this stuff is found so... It's like... Some stuff is found like this so often, we just kind of get tired of it. And, you know, we're human, so I guess maybe we get tired of ourselves. So we're looking for ancient civilization on other planets. We're looking for ancient aliens. We're looking outside the planet. We're looking on other planets. We're looking into space. Maybe we're looking into other dimensions. 
But there's a lot here on Earth that we haven't discovered yet. We haven't investigated yet. That shouldn't stop us from exploring beyond our planet. But there's a lot of things we should be just, if not more than, fascinated with here on Earth in comparison with things like Roswell, in my opinion. Now, this isn't, I'm not bashing Roswell. I'm just saying while everybody else is talking about Roswell and, oh, was the material real? And what I'm concerned with is, you know, trying to, change the angle of the conversation so that we can talk about things that are also equally as fascinating, but perhaps even more, more life-changing than the possibility that a small percentage of things that we can't identify might still be unidentified, though we can't identify them, if you get what I mean. Because just because they're unidentified doesn't mean they're alien spacecraft. Also, this story broke yesterday Early human fossils found in a cave a million years older than expected. That's 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 quite an underestimated estimation for these fossils that came from human ancestors in a South African cave dated to 3.4 to 3.6 million years ago. The oldest, I guess, uh, 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 oldest, some of the oldest fossils they found from the uh, Australopithecus era. Uh, these were found in the Sturkfontein cave, and uh, they are older than the, the faint, well, some of you probably remember the Lucy fossil. They're older than the Lucy fossils. And uh, this was a uh, uh, UNESCO World Heritage Site about 30 miles northwest of Johannesburg. The article was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and these fossils these human fossils are 3.4 to 3.6 million years old, which places them not at the end of the Australopithecus era, but at the beginning of the era. So our history is changing literally by the day, literally by the day. Earlier this month, a massive city is found under the dried up riverbed, and they find that it had a multi-story storage building. So we're talking about complex economic systems, trade, travel, uh, politics, uh, business, things that for 3,400 years ago, for things to have been solidified at, at that point, we're talking about the development of civilization that would have had to have been, you can imagine, hundreds, if not thousands of years in advance from prior to that date. And it, it's, it's very likely that, uh, you know, there are plenty of things that if it weren't for natural, uh, natural things like erosion and things being buried in sediment and, 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 and even the ocean, uh, we probably would find, you know, if things weren't decaying, uh, as is the case with the Sphinx and uh, pyramids and temples, monolithic, monolithic structures, megalithic structures all over the world. Things that arguably date back tens, hundreds of thousands, or even millions of years. And, and now, what yesterday in an anthropology class, yesterday in an archaeology class, yesterday in a history class, we would have been teaching that the Lucy fossils were the oldest fossils from Ethiopia, we were told that Lucy, you know, represents a species, the Australopithecus, uh, a pharensis, living about 3.2 million years ago. But these fossils are even older than that, 
and they come from the beginning of that period rather than the end, which in evolutionary terms would mean that there was evolution, just like technological advancement in the case of the uh, 3,400-year-old city from the Tigris River long before the point of origin of when these things were, were, um, were dated to. So that tells us human civilization was much more advanced, much earlier than we thought, going back even before Egypt, 4,000 years ago, uh, because you know we have uh, records of you know receipts and complex uh, systems of trade and mathematics and astronomy that date back four or five thousand years. I mean, if you look at shamanistic practices in Africa, parts of uh, uh, of Europe, uh, even native cultures. I mean, there are things that go back thirty, forty thousand years ago, where you you're talking about religious ideas that are developed in caves and what we would call today shamanistic practices 30 something thousand years ago meaning that you know humans at the time had the brain capacity to deal with these complex things and you know that's just from some cave paintings we can we can derive that and and some traditions oral traditions and other written traditions we can derive this information and you know things like these fossils millions of years old i mean you can find things that are way more uh, damaging to uh, the official narrative of history than just these two stories. But it goes on from there. The discovery of a hidden world under Antarctic ice has scientists very excited. This hidden world was found under 1,600 feet of ice. And the same thing was found last year in December. More abundant life under the ice on another ice shelf. One was the Larsen ice shelf. One was the Ekstrom ice shelf. There's life everywhere under the ice. There's history everywhere under a river, in a cave. And that history is quickly rewriting itself before our eyes. Life as we know it is becoming life as we knew it as we move into the future. And as we understand our past, I think that helps us to get a better grasp on what might be in our future in regards to perhaps contact with extraterrestrials. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's more coming up after this, plus Jared Murphy in the second hour. Don't go anywhere. Stay with us. Broadcasting from somewhere between the normal and abnormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare in which fear, loneliness, and the unexplainable walk hand in hand through the shadows. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. The Secret Teachings radio show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings to like us and TST underscore underscore radio to tweet with us. This is David Icke from davidike.com, author of The Phantom Self and The Perception Deception. And you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. From ground zero to The Secret Teachings. Keep your dial tuned to Ground Zero Radio. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. 
We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm a last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. If you enjoy the secret teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis- and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. This is one of the best discussions I've been on in a long time. You guys are right on it. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. If anyone can hear this broadcast, I'm still on Earth. This is the frequency of Ground Zero Radio, Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis, and The Secret Teachings with myself, Brian Gable. So when you look into the history books, when you look into the anthropological and the archaeological records, we find things that officially, without any speculation, without any conspiracy, confirm that our ancestors were much more advanced than we could imagine today. If you look at the Baghdad Battery, for example, probably one of the most famous cases of an ancient artifact that defies modern historian points of view, or the Babylonian tablet Plimpton 322, which shows that the Babylonians understood complex mathematics, to the Antikythera mechanism, to everything from uh, these big complexes, Pumupuku, Machu Picchu, Gigantesia, Nugringe, Baalbek, Nan Madal, the Xi'an Pyramid in China, the Giza Pyramids, and so on and so forth. Even the Klerksdorp spheres, look at all these, these little tiny little tiny things as well as very large things. We see that modern views on history are absolutely shredded by this overwhelming evidence, which is part of the modern historical, archaeological, anthropological, sociological record. But the question then is, Because we don't understand how they could have done that, does that mean that aliens are responsible, right? That's the big question. 
especially during Roswell week, which is what this is, leading up to the 75th anniversary of Roswell. Everybody's talking about Roswell. I'm not opposed to Roswell, but I want to know, was it aliens? I know everybody wants to know that. But in asking that question, was it aliens, and applying that question to history, is it aliens, we can start to come to an understanding, not from the question posed to Roswell, and not necessarily to the ancient alien theory proposed for ancient history, but based, I believe, on common sense and reason, that Aliens probably don't make as much sense in being responsible for ancient human developments so much as humans are responsible for those developments and we're not really looking for ancient aliens as much as we're looking for ancient humans that could have built these incredible things that had knowledge of astronomy and mathematics and I understand that if you go into the ancient alien narrative, and I'm not disputing it by any means, but if you go into the ancient alien narrative, I, you know, I've read the stories, I've I've read the text, I've I, I'm aware of all the different stories. I've watched the TV show, I've interviewed a lot of people from the TV show. I'm friends with some of the people from the TV show. What I'm saying is that there's I, I've, I'm I'm aware of all that stuff, but when we hear about God's coming down to earth and mingling with mankind and God's coming down to earth and teaching mankind like those comments and those asteroids of the more relatively more recent history a few hundred years ago that were seen as portents and omens. They were seen as messengers, uh, messengers, uh, messages, signs from God, signs from uh, the heavens that a king was going to die, an empire was going to fall, there would be the outbreak of plague. But, but think about it for a second. Why, why did a comet signify that there would be the outbreak of a plague? Well, it's likely because a comet in its, in its icy core, um, both its core itself and also outside the core, when it heats up, of course, the ice begins to melt and the gases and the things inside uh, what was encased in the ice and the rock start to melt and break apart. And so as it gets closer to a planet like ours and the gravity pulls on it, and it goes past our planet, and then our planet moves through the tail of that comet, the gases and the various things that are in it, say carbon monoxide, for example, can, of course, get into our atmosphere and in large quantities make people very sick. So a comet might have been seen as an omen, not because our ancestors understood what that comet was, not because our ancestors thought that God was punishing man with a plague, but because of something that is very much rooted in science today. We can look at a comet and we can make that determination that it's probably because the comet contained things that made people sick. Therefore, you can still say the comet coming from the heavens, coming from the domain of God, was sent to earth and it was a sign and people died because of a plague or you know an empire fell. And that was God exercising his wrath or his justice on earth for whatever reason. But we have to ask the big question. What is God? What are the heavens? And do we mean this literally or do we mean this figuratively? Because I'll refer to space as the heavens. I refer to the laws of nature as God. 
but I don't think it's an actual character or an actual anthropomorphized being or an actual thing that is literally directing anything more than a metaphoric army or a metaphoric uh, event to, to, to occur. So in looking into the heavens today, and we see comets and we can describe them in a very scientific way, our ancestors in describing them as, you know, portents or omens or going back even uh, thousands of years to the chariots of the gods and the things we saw in the heavens, they identify them as things they understood, right? Shields in the sky, chariots in the sky. That was science at the time. That's what they understood. And just like Project Blue Book, they can only identify about 10% of what's up there in, in the heavens based on what they looked at back in the uh, late 40s, 50s, and 60s through Project Grudge and Project Sign. 10% were still unidentified. And a percentage of this, you know, th- these UAPs the Pentagon looked at are also ident- unidentified. Now, in 50 years, we might be able to identify what they are, and they're probably not alien spaceships. Could they be? Well, well sure. And that's why the whole idea is, is popular, because it speaks to our interest in fantasy and discovery and exploration. We want to learn. We want to know. We want to know what's out there. We want to know what's, what's potentially um, with us in the universe, in the solar system, here on our own planet. But when we look at those things, you know, we, we, we're assuming what they are. We're assuming it's a spaceship. We're assuming it's a sign from God. We're assuming that it's a, a shield or a chariot based on what we know and what we understand at the time. But I believe that it makes far more sense that our ancestors were assisted by their own ingenuity, not by aliens. If you ask that question, was it aliens or was it humans? You have to understand, just like was it you know, aliens or is it God or are they demons? Our ancestors were able to identify those things based on what they knew in saying that they received this information from the heavens. If I am to look up into the sky and observe the heavens and and figure out how the, the planets move and the stars move, I didn't get that information from God or from aliens. I got that information from dedication to studying that which is above me. In the same way that scientists today study nature, that is what science is, study nature, asking questions, hypothesis, theses, theories, etc. And when you're studying nature and you acquire an understanding of nature from studying it, whether it's an animal, a tree, a, an, a, an ecosystem, an environment, whatever, you're acquiring information and knowledge from something that we could anthropomorphize and say that, this God gave us that information. Like, I mean, a silly example, but if you were studying ants, let's say you were studying ants and you get down on the ground and you got a, you got a little magnifying glass. You're not trying to burn them, but you're looking at the ants and you've studied ants your whole life. Right. And you write books about ants and you learn all that you can about ants. And you know, you're an an ant expert. And as you're studying the ants, people start asking you questions like, how, how, do you, how do you learn all this stuff by just studying the ants? You're like, well, I watch them and it's, you know, you, you get down into their world and it's almost like they're communicating with you. And, 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 and you say that and then, you know, I don't know, 50, 60, 70, 100 years later, you know, those, that statement and the things that you wrote about studying those ants starts to become, well, they learned, he, this guy learned it. This girl learned what she learned or he learned from studying the ants because the ants were communicating to him. He learned it from the ant gods. And then that's sort of how things, especially for, through word of mouth, change. And it's like a game of telephone. And this can happen over hundreds of years, but it's certainly going to happen over thousands 
or tens of thousands, and certainly over millions of years. So when we're looking at fossils, we're looking at artifacts, we're looking at temples, we're looking at the Babylonian Plimpton tablet 322, the Antikythera device, we're looking at million-year-old fossils, skeletal remains, footprints, things that look like manufactured, uh, you know, uh, little tiny things like little metal cubes, um, Tucson-led artifacts. I'm here in Tucson. I remember the Tucson-led artifacts. All kind, we look at all this stuff, and, and we immediately think, well, it must have been aliens because humans couldn't have done that. And I think part of that comes from the fact that we have been conditioned by the standard educational system to believe that, and especially through religion, to believe that the earth is only a certain uh, uh, amount of years old. Humans have only been here for a very short amount of time, and therefore dinosaurs do not exist. And therefore, these artifacts cannot exist. They must all be hoaxes. And the same idea that rejects dinosaurs or rejects uh, an artifact or like the Kensington Ruinstone, for example, we've interviewed Scott Walter a number of times over the years, and he was rejected by mainstream academia because they asked him to look at it. He's a forensic geologist. He investigates it, and he says it's older than what you think it is, and he's, he's, he's you know, he's, <laughs> they don't want anything to do with him. And that's, that's how it works. So that's what leads to the idea, I think, that, well, humans couldn't have done that because... God created the earth after that time period, so that's not true. Science is lying. That's what some people believe. Dinosaurs couldn't have existed because God doesn't mention them, right? The Bible doesn't mention them, so they can't be real. And humans couldn't have built that because if humans were really, really that smart a long time ago, you know, we would be way smarter than we are today, which is sort of a fallacy, you know, just because somebody was really smart a long time ago doesn't mean that we should be smarter today. I mean, some people are intelligent, but I'm sure there were just as many people in the days of the pyramids and the temples and the Antikythera device that were, that were, you know, that were bums. So just because, just because we're not as brilliant as Leonardo da Vinci, we're not as, we're not Imhotep, we're not, um, you know, we're not some Babylonian king or some priest or doesn't mean that uh, all people today are dumb because you have archaeologists, forensic, forensic geologists, you have authors and researchers and scientists and, uh, and, and sociologists and anthropologists who go and look into the historical record, who go to the sites, who do the digging, who do the investigation, and they speak out and they make claims that are contrary to the official narrative, and that advances our understanding of the past, wherein otherwise we would simply reduce the past to either not existing because of the Bible or because of some Christian interpretation of the Bible or some Muslim interpretation of the Quran, some literal interpretation that the earth is only this many years old. So that, that means dinosaurs can't exist. And it's not all religious. It's some people just choose that, that that's impossible. That can't be. Science does the same thing that the religious-minded people do. Do you see that? Science literally will reject for the same reasons, slightly different, but pretty much the same reason. Science rejects history for the same reason religion rejects history. Science rejects history because 
well, it's not really the science now, is that it's the scientists. Scientists reject history because it doesn't conform, and when it doesn't conform to their preconceived notions of what history is supposed to be. And nobody wants to go back and change the books, and nobody wants to change their point of view and admit they were wrong. So we've caught, you know, we've we've caught the Smithsonian and others just they destroy things, they get rid of things, schools that don't teach things, uh, and uh, making a question of certain things a mockery. Like I, I don't know if if uh, uh, Mister Kincaid actually went to the Grand Canyon and found artifacts. It makes for one hell of a radio show when we talk about it. And there are newspaper clippings, and uh, Kincaid, uh, I, I believe it is, it's pretty well confirmed that he worked for the Smithsonian. I don't know if he actually found anything there, but I'm not going to laugh at it outright because it doesn't, it doesn't fit into the narrative of what, uh, what we've been led to believe. And that's just what we do. It's like scientists reject history because it doesn't fit in the, into the preconceived notion of what they've been taught or what they believe. And even historians refute history. But a lot of times... Uh, historians and archaeologists do that because of religion, because of their beliefs, like Muslim archaeologists, Christian archaeologists, people like this, or people that have been brought up in those communities. And the reason they reject it is because, well, no, the earth has to be this many thousands of years old. So anything dating back more than this many years old has to be a fake, has to be made up, has to be a hoax, has to be something else. And I think some people have gotten tired of that. So instead of rejecting it on science, rejecting it on archaeology, rejecting it from religion, they accept it based on the fantastical, based on the UFO, based on this little mythology, this little theological thing they've created. And I'm not saying it's a bad theory, you know, ancient aliens, but a lot of people accept it for the same reasons that science rejects it. Science rejects it because we're not allowed to think that, we're not allowed to look at that, and some people accept it for the exact opposite reason. Because I'm not allowed to think it, because I'm not allowed to look at it, I'm going to look at it, I'm going to think it, and I'm going to furthermore believe it absolutely without any question, without any shadow of a doubt that maybe it's not a hoax, maybe it's real, but maybe there's more complex things to it. Maybe there's more context to this history. That just because something something is uh, you know incredibly advanced, based on our modern standards, which I don't think you can even really compare the two. We, humans build with computers and calculators today. How can you compare that to 1,000-year-old, 2,000-year-old, 5,000, 10,000-year-old, 100,000-year-old structures built out of uh, earthen materials that don't really erode in the same way? I don't know how you can really compare the two. So some accept this fantastical UFO mythology which is just as incredible, I believe, as science, archaeology, religion, rejecting the past because it doesn't fit into the narrative. Some people accept it because it fits into their new narrative. That doesn't help anybody out. That doesn't help us get anywhere. It makes for a fun story, but, you know, when people, I mean, you, you can watch this on Ancient Aliens. You can, you can find uh, a lot of people in the quote-unquote UFO field, if you will, or conspiracy field, I don't know, whatever it is that I do here on the secret teachings, whatever this is, you know, you can find um, people that will make reasonable arguments and make uh, logical arguments that, well, hey, science just rejects it because it doesn't fit into their box and archaeology rejects it and religion rejects it. But but then they also tend to reject the context of the situation because they so badly 
quote, want to believe that they will believe anything. And that is dangerous because some, furthermore, will use that belief to spread nonsense. And that nonsense, I believe, is the, well, it's the narrative of the flat earth. It's the narrative of uh, all these uh, people that claim they've been abducted by aliens or have become part of some galactic federation of ambassadors. And I'm not saying people haven't been abducted by aliens. I've had some weird experiences. I don't know if I call them aliens or if I call that, you know, some shamanistic experience. Some people just produce too much DMT. That doesn't mean you're being abducted, abducted by aliens, but it's unfortunate. Science rejects history. Archaeology rejects history. Religion rejects history. Why? Because it doesn't fit into the narrative. But then some, because it doesn't fit into the narrative, accept it based on their own narrative, which is just as incredible because they want to believe. And when you want to believe, people will use that belief to spread other things like false versions of history where we start to we start to make claims such as there's no such thing as the truth and there's no which is kind of true in history but you know in the sense um, I've got people I know who believe that everything about history is a lie and it's like there, there's a difference between not being told the whole story lies of omission and there simply being a lack of context within the historical narrative because there are plenty of people I myself being one of them who can look into historical accounts. And I, I don't believe everything that I read as being a fact. I look at it with the context and and with the, 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 the situation, I try to put myself in a position where I can kind of try to maybe sort of understand what was it like in that time period. Now, that's easy to do, you know, if you're studying the Civil War, but it's not easy to do if you're studying cultures that are thousands of miles away in places you've never been, probably never will be. And uh, artifacts and things that you'll never see except in pictures, maybe if you're lucky, and things that date back thousands, tens of thousands, even millions of years, in which just maybe a handful of people on the planet will ever get to look at and study. So we have no idea. But that doesn't mean that we should reject everything as being false. And, you know, we're getting to a point now where YouTube is basically like not only do dinosaurs not exist, not only is the, 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 the Earth flat, but all the stuff, I mean, everything, you know, that, that you can think of, everything you can imagine. I mean, think of an think of an archaeological site. Think of a megalithic structure, a monolithic structure. Think of uh, everything from Newgrange to Pumabunku. It's all made up. It's all fake. It's all nonsense. And we got to stop that nonsense. We got to stop that crap. We got to start thinking with our heads and not with emotion about these kinds of things. So I have a Science Daily article. 3,400-year-old city emerges from the Tigris River. 3,400 years old, they estimate. They estimate it because they think it dates back to the Mitanni Empire era, an empire city once located on the Tigris River. The settlement emerged from the waters of the Mosul Reservoir early this year as water levels fell rapidly due to a drought in Iraq. This is from the University of Freiburg, June 1st, 2022. A team of German and Kurdish archaeologists have uncovered a 3,400-year-old Mitanni Empire era city, once located on the Tigris River, the settlement, which emerged from the, 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 the Mosul Reservoir, is a very extensive city with a palace and these very large buildings. They believe that it was a very important center in the Mitanni Empire that they date between 1550 and 1350 years ago. 
uh, a Bronze Age city. And this is really interesting. This is what piqued my attention. Here's what it says. A massive fortification with wall and towers, a monumental multi-story storage building, and an industrial complex. The extensive urban complex dates to the time of the Empire of Mitanni, which controlled parts of Mesopotamia and parts of Syria. They also found ceramic vessels with cuneiform tablets, hundreds of them. So the Mitanni Empire built, if this is completely true, a multi-story storage facility. So they had, uh, you know, just like the Babylonian tablet Plimpton 322, they had a complex society dating back over 3,400 years ago, or 3,300 years B.C., so 3,400 years ago. Uh, they date back to the earliest 1550. So either way, we're talking, we're talking over 3,000 uh, and change, which is a lot of years. But that's not you know, the most fascinating thing in the world. I actually find this story more fascinating. I, I read this this morning, and then actually our guest who's coming up, Jared Murphy, he sent this to me uh, earlier today. Early human fossils found in a cave are a million years older than expected. Fossils of an early human ancestor from South Africa were found in a cave, the Sturkfontein Cave System. These fossils were older than the Lucy fossil from Ethiopia, and they originally estimated them to be a couple million years old. Turns out they were actually between 3.4 million and 3.6 million years old. So you see, they estimate, which is part of the scientific process, and at least they're able to acknowledge when the estimation is wrong. And, well, they're actually more than, they're a million years older than we estimated. So totally just over, over one 24-hour period in the news cycle, history has changed as we know it. You know, it's, it's really unbelievable. And then scientists in Antarctica at the Larsen Ice Shelf, this was about three weeks ago, this came out in the news. Live science, 1,600 feet below the Larsen Ice shell, uh, Shelf is a massive floating sheet of ice uh, eastern coast of the Antarctica uh, Peninsula, Antarctic Peninsula. Researchers sent a camera down through this tunnel, and they found these blurry flecks in the water, and they thought there was something wrong with the camera. Then they realized, no, they're not. Uh, this is not uh, dirt or something on the camera. It's actually a new, different forms of life. This, what they called a hidden world, under the Antarctic ice, is not the first time this has been discovered. If you look at the uh, Science Alert website, they have a, a story about Antarctica going back to December of last year that says deep under the ice of Antarctica, there is, uh, there is basically uh, new forms of life that, that, that have been found thriving under the Eskrum ice shelf. According to uh, one of the uh, researchers and his marine biologist David Barnes said this discovery of so much life living in these extreme conditions is a complete surprise and reminds us how Antarctic marine life is so unique and special. So pitch blackness, freezing temperatures below the ice, and here is life thriving. Likewise is the case with the uh, famous story of Lake Vostok. They found like 16 hundred or something like there's like thousands of different species of things in that in that lake under the ice 
there's so much life on planet Earth we don't know about. So many artifacts, manuscripts, documents, uh, tablets, monolithic, megalithic structures, temples, pyramids. There's so much stuff right in front of our eyes. And although it's okay to look up at the skies, life as we know it below is really life as we knew it. And every day it changes and gets more complex as we learn more about the past. We're going to speak with Jared Murphy after this break. He wrote a book about ancient human history, ancient archaeology, and how it's probably not aliens, it's more likely to be us. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's a lot more after this. Please visit our website, thesecretteachings.info. Subscribe to the archive to support our show or buy one of my books, www.thesecretteachings.info, rdgable at yahoo.com. $40 for one year. Donate through our PayPal email, the one I just gave you, or do it through our website. You support the show. We're here five nights a week, 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific after Clyde and Ground Zero. Enjoy the break. And we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. Hey, this is John Peasy at johnpeasy.com, and I'm here with Ryan Gable from The Secret Teachings. It's The Secret Teachings, one of the homes of the original Super Bowl analysis, airing exclusively five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana, complete with hundreds of beautiful images. Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir, black goo, transhumanism and invoking AI. Or if that's not enough and you want a practical look at food, lifestyles and ingredients, even those in your pet food, with free solutions to better health, then check out Food Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. 
broadcasting from somewhere between the normal and abnormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare in which fear, loneliness, and the unexplainable walk hand in hand through the shadows. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Welcome back to the Secret Teachings Radio Broadcast. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, this afternoon, tonight, whenever and wherever you are listening around the world. This is the Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio, Aftermath, the app, Ground Zero app, and many other platforms streaming through groundzero.radio. Our website is thesecretteachings.info. You can find our full show archive there if you haven't checked it out already. You can find... All of our shows and montages and my digital books if you're a subscriber. If you haven't subscribed to our show or Clyde's show, I'd recommend that you do both. Again, thesecretteachings.info. And if you'd like to contact us tonight for any reason, R-D-G-A-B-L-E, R-D-Gable at yahoo.com. You know the social media, facebook.com forward slash thesecretteachings and TST underscore underscore radio. I know it gets annoying, but I have to repeat it every segment because new people come in and out. And uh, believe me, it's annoying to me to have to always repeat it over and over and over again. But I have to repeat it. I have to say, uh, tell you exactly what's going on so everybody can kind of uh, you know, be kept up to date uh, and kept up to speed on what's happening on the show. Which includes always having to recap what we talked about in the previous segment or the previous hour. And maybe I'm breaking a fourth wall by saying that, but... I find it necessary to be as articulate and as precise as possible, especially when discussing a topic that doesn't necessarily have a background uh, of support. What I do on The Secret Teachings is try to provide a different perspective on various subjects, Monday through Friday, five nights a week on every show. And because we're approaching the Roswell anniversary and we turn our eyes to the skies and we search the vastness of space and we turn to the annals of history for ufology into the 1940s, we sometimes forget that the proof that many of us desire, proof that many of us wish to discover of official disclosure and all of these things related to aliens, UFOs, etc., may be far more demonstrable through accounts of human civilization than of some supernatural or unidentified object. At the very least, uh, I think we should, we can't, we should stop the, uh, the bickering uh, within the various fields of especially things that are considered more alternative to the mainstream. And uh, for me to say that, that has no effect on those fields, but for those of you who are looking for a uh, new way to look at things, a new way to think about things, we should always remember and never forget who we are, where we're coming from, and we should never, we should never abandon these pursuits uh, in, in lieu of uh, ideologies and dogma and doctrines. We should always look for new information, and we should find that information to be enlightening to our sensibilities, and I was discussing with you earlier about this 3,400-year-old Matini Empire city emerging out of the Tigris River. 
how this thing is a massive complex and how there's a multi-story storage facility. We go back 3,400 years. We go back even further, 4,000, 5,000 years. We can go back 30, 40,000 years. We can go back to some caves in southern France and parts of Europe and parts of Africa that show us that humans had a very, very complex yet simple in the sense that they were able to develop such an idea a very complex grasp of the supernatural, of the spiritual, and of the religious, as well as the, the arts. Uh, the cave paintings and the experiences that what we might call shamans today sort of, some believe, led to the, uh, the ability of, of modern man to develop uh, you know, complex religious systems. Maybe this was done through plants, you know, different forms of hallucinogenic substances or whatever, but 30, 40,000 years ago, humans had a very similar form of brain capacity to develop these kinds of things. And I, I find it unfortunate that we have so many stories. Well, I mean, I don't, it, it might not be of interest to you, this, this city found in uh, this dried up um, uh, reservoir in Iraq. It might not be of any interest. Uh, the fossilized uh, uh, things that were found in the cave we talked about earlier in Africa might not be of any interest to you. Millions of years older than originally thought. And uh, coming at the uh, at the beginning rather than the end of the Australopithecus period, but when you put all this together and and you look at look at Antarctica, uh, 2021 discovery abundant life under the Estrum uh, Estrum uh, ice shelf, a new discovery now similar thing found under the Larsen ice shelf. You got Lake Vostok, and, and you mix all this stuff together with what we're learning about UFOs for the first time officially in decades, and life as we know it really is becoming life as we knew it. A, a single 24-hour news cycle can change our whole perception, if we allow it, can change our, our whole perception, our, our whole history, our, everything. And as we get to our guest this evening, Jared Murphy is with us on the line. My main argument tonight is not to argue a dogma, argue a point of view. It's to, based on my view suggests that scientists, not science, tend to reject certain archaeological finds, tend to reject, like academics, the subject of UFOs, etc., because they fail to conform to preconceived notions of fact and reality. Archaeologists also do the same thing, some for religious reasons, and people that tend to have certain religious beliefs also, well, they tend to reject the same because of Things that uh, they don't conform to their religious viewpoints, a lot of which are assumed and not even from the Bible or from the Quran or from wherever. Others, they see the rejection and they tend to accept new discoveries at face value while failing to question their validity, which is really no different than just rejecting everything outright. So this desire to believe can, and I believe is, weaponized to spread false narratives and to further confuse the historical record. And I think, in my opinion, this is what's happening with your flat earth. This is what's happening in large part with ancient aliens. Fascinating questions, fascinating facts and details. But I find that believing everything is, is a result of extraterrestrials is really demeaning the human uh, spirit and, and human ingenuity and the things that humans can accomplish. And I think we're really looking at ourselves I've believed this for a long time. I think we're really looking at ourselves more so than we're looking at aliens throughout human history, ancient civilizations. I don't know. Maybe there were aliens. The point isn't really to prove or to disprove it, 
But this belief is something that I've had for some time. It's a different belief than you typically get in uh, these kinds of fields and discussions. And a few years ago, I found, uh, found a gentleman named Jared Murphy who has a similar belief. In fact, he wrote a book with a lot more information than, than I can provide you called It's Not Aliens, Worse, It's Us, Discovering Our Lost History. And Jared Murphy is with us this evening on The Secret Teachings. Jared, thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening and joining us on the broadcast once again. It's been some time. How have you been? Absolutely great. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to talking with you again. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. It's been over a year, I think, since we talked last or did a show at least. Yeah. It's, it's, gosh, I'm sure with for everyone listening, even it's been, I'm sure, an incredibly busy year. <laughs> a very busy year. We, we, we switched over now to Ground Zero from the Fringe, and it's been nonstop, absolutely nonstop. I know you've been traveling and busy, but why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself for those of you who don't uh, don't know Jared Murphy. He's an author, but he does a lot of other stuff too. What do you write about, Jared? So there is a um, a variety, like you said, of different beliefs of, you know, there's paranormal and there's, um, there's these superhumans and there's aliens and there's math and science and there's, uh, well, you know, there's a little bit of truth in Hinduism and Buddhism and whatever. And what I did in the writings of It's Not Alien Force, It's Us, was to say, okay, there's a lot of out-of-place, out-of-time artifacts and ruins, and all of it combined with everything I just said, tables, there has to be a unifying theory. There has to be something we've missed. And uh, in doing field research and traveling around the world and actually going to archaeological sites and then um, you know, planning and also producing my own research, the, the focus of the book and my general research is to look at what are the greater, more realistic conditions we're sitting in as a human race. And that seems to be that we missed a very massive chapter of ancient human history. And the proof is in our genetics, which needs to be somehow tabled in a way that you can think about uh, the technologies, biotechnology, ancient biotechnologies to uh, things that we credit as superhuman, like controlling your immune system, like Wim Hof and Steve Severance and stuff, or uh, these paranormal or second sight or remote viewing things we chalk up to, you know, MK Ultra or not that there's not military clandestine organizations and programs, but there's a massive amount of information that seems to point to a much uh, com- more complex human society that once was here that may have fallen in a way where maybe they didn't all go away and maybe there is a greater, more reasonable explanation when we say aliens or when we say, um, you know, we have a superhuman ability is that we achieved a much higher level of consciousness, control of the human body, control of our, what we think of as natural world, but more of it as biotechnology, basically errant Fortran and COBOL and, really primitive programs in, in the world of computing, but, you know, people don't hear those now. Now they're talking about Unreal Engine and metaverses and just being on the internet and shopping. So I do all of that research. I do self-experimentation. I rock climb. Uh, I do, uh, you know, like you just said, I just came back from two months of travel from the Gulf Archaeological Site in Texas, very fascinating place, to... Uh, America Stonehenge in New Hampshire, which was my last stop in two months, which I just got back from planning my new 
uh, lecture on September 24th. I'll be lecturing there in person this September 24th, but then I stopped at the Westford night. I stopped at the Upton. Um, a lot of, you know, I'll drop a few things, but there are thousands, tens of thousands of ruins that are similar to America's Stonehenge. They've been featured on a lot of shows and, you know, Scott Walter of America on Earth and others that they span from Canada through New Hampshire into even the, the Ohio uh, region. The reality is that there's definitely much history here that's antediluvian and diluvian. So pre-flood, post-flood, and they represent uh, this continuing unraveling of this sad, very primitive, um, you know, American perspective on not, and I say American because it, there was a lot of Eastern early colleges that really kind of created this paradigm that, you know, we were all primitive. The Natural History Museum has everyone banging rocks. We're the most advanced we've ever been. And there's a narrative about who came to America and it was all through this land bridge. And that is just, uh, for once, you and I have talked in the past and for everyone listening, for as hot as we've gotten on this stuff, it was really fun listening to a PhD um, ancient construction archaeologist who founded the Gulf site practically turned beet red when he talked about K through 12 education, that there's no such thing as Clovis. It's like saying we're all one, like there's a cell phone culture. Well, people in China have cell phones, but they have different apps and they speak a different language. It's not the cell phone culture. For us to all have a cell phone, it's just a technology. And to describe everyone in North America pre 13,000 years ago as the Clovis is that luna, is that kind of lunacy. So I, I've had a really good time over the last couple months collecting info because that's going to be put out in new documentaries uh, that we're producing myself and uh, a, few, a few other researchers that I was out there with and my co-host Lynn on our, our show on Thursday nights. But we are, you know, constantly looking at this narrative that it's not about proving uh, the old narrative wrong. It's about we can't slow down for your listeners and for our interest in finding the truth to convince these archaic, dusty institutions to come on board. You know, the joke is, you know, archaeology, the opinion on archaeology changes at the rate of the death of one archaeologist at a time. And, you know, we're out there having a lot of fun, um, you know, collecting information, visiting the sites, doing our own research, putting them together in different formats, whether it's interviews like this or whether it's, putting together podcast or uh, documentaries outside of podcasts to bring people more prepared, um, you know, programs and shows. So it's been really fun over the last couple of years to do all that. Jared, I know that most of us, we've watched documentaries, Discovery Channel, History Channel. We've heard of American Stonehenge and some other places, but I think a lot of us tend to forget that America or the Americas are filled with the same types of uh, ancient things as you find in Europe or you find in South America, we always tend to be pulled to these magical lands that we've never been to and probably never will go to. But there's so much incredible stuff to find right here in our own country, below our feet. Sometimes, I mean, in our own town. In our, I, mean, I grew up around some of the serpent mounds uh, when I was in high school. I, I didn't know what a serpent mound was. I didn't know about any of that stuff. And I got older and I learned... I had moved back down to Florida and I learned that's about that stuff. And I was like, I, I literally lived like a couple miles from that. I never went to see it. Nobody ever told me about it. It's just there. And it kind of is forgotten about. 
But my point is there's so much magical stuff here in our own country or whoever's listening around the world in your own country. We don't always have to go to Egypt to find this mystery. Oh, no, you're so right. Doesn't it? It's horrible. I was driving from, uh, I was with Freeman from um, Freeman TV, you know, Freeman Fly. And we were, um, I was doing some research in South Carolina and I'm driving to go do all this work in um, Connecticut and, you know, to look at the Carnes and to see America's Stonehenge again and do all this other work. And I see a sign that says, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright falling waters. And for those that don't know, I live in um, Minnesota in the upper Midwest where I'm not very far from Taliesin, which is not only Frank Lloyd Wright's home, but it, it's the one of the sites of his archaeological architectural schools. And I think one of those, uh, it's one of those stops where a lot of what we can learn about ourselves in your own hometown and what's around, there's, there's always something incredible that can, I think, tie into, I mean, one of the things that we research is genetic memory and uh, collective human consciousness. And sometimes people can think of, oh yeah, I've heard of people who thought they were Cleopatra or I thought it had to do with something ancient or I remember doing something or being something or whatever. But part of genetic memory is also being drawn to not only more recent history or ancient history, but how we apply to these, you know, what we call superhuman abilities, how we live on a day-to-day basis, things we chalk up to mysticisms like feng shui. It's not that feng shui isn't real. It's just that it's a modality where we're banging on the blinky board and, and it works. But I don't think we entirely understand that a lot of things that we're drawn to, whether it's architecture or just our, our day-to-day living and our meditations, yoga, you know, just people trying to work on their general fitness. There are times where they hit these zones or zens and when we chalk it up to a, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting, I don't know, I'm, I'm getting a, to be a better meditator or I'm being, you know, I'm, I'm healthier. But the reality is that we have a greater mystery all around us. And I think triggering those memories by getting out into your local neighborhoods and realize it, which is crazy. If you live near the serpent mound, I'm, I'm still in the back of my head. Like I'm talking for everyone at the same time. I kind of want to stop and go, Oh man, that must suck now in retrospect. Right. Oh, absolutely. Not- absolutely. <laughs> and all the places I've lived where there were things I, I didn't know about. Luckily, luckily Jerry, when I lived in Boise, Idaho, I did discover the craters of the moon, but if I had moved away from Boise and then learned about it later, I'd have been furious at myself. Uh, Hey, for everyone, um, I actually don't know what that is. Really? Well, I finally stumped you. It's a, it's a, a national monument. Uh, I don't know if it's under the National Park Service, but it was uh, about 2,000 years ago, volcanic activity. Lava come up out of the, came up out of the ground, and it solidified. And it's about an hour and a half southeast of Boise, out toward the Idaho National Lab. And if you go out there, they have, um, they have a little entrance station. You go out there and camp. But you're driving across the desert, Jared. It looks like, uh, I mean, it's Idaho. If you've never been to Idaho, though, it's kind of like Nevada. And as you're driving, you see it's just brush and dirt. And then suddenly the horizon turns black and you get closer and closer. And it looks like you're literally on another planet, some kind of Ridley Scott movie. Totally black, jagged rocks. And it's, it's beautiful. It's kind of eerie. Something that if you ever get up there, you should definitely check it out. Oh, yeah, that sounds really, really, really interesting. That would, absolutely. Yeah, and I came across it by mistake. 
I was just I was just taking a drive uh, going across the state, and I came across that. I came across the Idaho National Lab where they built these. We talked about this last night, actually. Nuclear cars, nuclear powered cars, nuclear powered planes. Uh, they built the first nuclear reactor out there. Uh, first nuclear ex- uh, explosion from a, a power plant occurred out there. First, uh, I think it was like the first atomic uh, cause death happened out there. Some guy dies in one of the explosions. The first town that was lit by electricity from a nuclear power plant. It's like just that history alone. There's there was so much there. Atomic history, natural history, volcanic history. Nobody, even people people that I lived in Boise with were like, yeah, go to the foothills. It's great to camp. But nobody knew about this, all this history and all this beautiful stuff just an hour or so, hour and a half southeast of Boise. And that's like you were saying, this is all over, all over the country, all over the world. It's right in our backyards. Like I've got the saguaro cactuses here in my backyard, Jared, here in Tucson. And, um, you know, you see them in movies. You don't really think much about it, but I got them right outside of my, my, uh, my townhouse here. And they're, wow. they're iconic around the world. And I, I have to remind myself of that. And that's just a plant, let alone these right. ancient archaeological sites or what have you. Well, it, it, it's bananas. There's um, the Galt, G-A-U-L-T. The Galt site's about 45 minutes north of Austin, Texas. And it's so well-known around the world. It's the largest for those that do think of the land bridge. And about 13,000 years ago, there was this ridiculous theory that the only people in America and Central and South America, that all the pyramids, everything built in all the Americas came from a bunch of primitives that chased some mammoths through Alaska. And, and that the, there was this period of Clovis. And that, again, there's no... Um, there's no reason for the name. They just call it Clovis. So all around Canada, North America, all of America, everybody, there was just these particular kind of tools and arrowheads that said, well, everyone in this period is Clovis. Okay. Well, the Galt site has the most Clovis artifacts found. Uh, according to um, the co-founder, there was over 2.6 million artifacts uh, collected but here's the thing. We're there. It's a private tour. It's myself, Freeman, and, and, and another group of uh, researchers and esoteric types. And literally every, every, I'm not exaggerating, every square uh, millimeter of the ground is covered in shards. And you are constantly walking. Um, one of our companions uh, found two arrowheads just as we were stopping at, on the regular tour group. But below Clovis, this you know, recognized space that there was no one before Clovis. So there's uh, Michael Cremo for Bend Archaeology, Graham Hancock. There's plenty of people have uh, reminded that, you know, when you ask an archaeologist before, older ones, it's like, well, why don't you dig past Clovis? Well, there's nothing down there. Well, have you looked? You know, you only find what you're looking for. All, so based, don't dig. all based on assumption. Yeah. So when they finally dug, there are two reasons of the gold site for those that believe in traditional archaeology, and, and again, I do believe that based on what I was optimistic about is the co-founder of the Gold site, there's international recognition for it. I think academically at the highest level of boots on the ground research, and one of the things he pointed out, do you know that worldwide, his, his estimate is that there are only 12,000 field archaeologists working. That, that sounds like a decent number, but if everyone thinks about the natural paleoanthropology, uh, I mean, just paleoacoustics or, you know, archaeoacoustics, 
Um, there, there are so many different archaeoastronomy. There's so many different new fields. There's only about 12,000 archaeologists in the field. Internationally, it's well known now that there was no Clovis and that there was many, many things happening below Clovis. But 20 feet deeper at the Gulf site is a stone floor that I had watched a video um, that said, oh, you know, it's 15, 18,000 years old. But when we visited the site a month and a half ago, we were there and they said, um, no, we're confident that this, this stone floor, which was 18, 15 feet below the, the below Clovis, there's a dead zone. And then and how many, uh, for, how many years is that roughly? Is there a way to estimate that, that many feet, that many years? Yeah. Okay. So different areas of the country has a different rate. So like in New Hampshire, where America Stonehenge is, Dennis confirmed for me that the general rate between New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and maybe even into a little bit of Connecticut, there was a general rate of one inch um, was probably a hundred years, maybe a little bit more, give or take. And so in this area in Galt, they, they have some general estimates. However, the Galt site is unique because it's on a floodplain. So there's some added issues. However, it's one of 19 sites known in all of North America that has a mastodon kill site where humans have killed a young, younger female mastodon. They were cleaning it. There are tools uh, within the space of where they were working on the, on the head. And of course, when you're killing something in a period where there's something called a short faced bear living, uh, that's a problem because it makes modern Kodiak bears look like kind of teddy bears. So you wouldn't want to be around with a giant bloody dead mastodon for very long. So they left the head. There's all these tools from that. This stone floor is uh, dating to about 20,000 years plus. So, it could be much older because just a year and a half ago, you know, when that video came out, that original news story was a few years earlier than the, the YouTube video, which was documenting a, an actual news interview. Now the co-founder of the site, based on their research current, is it's at least 20,000 years old. And they've only dug up 3% of the Gulf site, and they think it was a major thoroughway for primitive humans going into the Ohio's slash the serpent mound slash the serpent walls that are at like America's Stonehenge hold that all over. Hold that thought. We have to take a break, but only 3% has been uncovered and, and they're saying 18, 20,000 year old. This floor is could be even older than that. We're going to talk a little bit more about this with Jared Murphy. Yeah. When I come back from break the Galt site. Thanks for joining us again, Jared, and thank you for joining us. If you're listening to the show, secretteachings.info, rdgable at yahoo.com. Jared Murphy, our guest. There's more after this. Stay with us. The Secret Teachings radio show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings to like us and TST underscore underscore radio to tweet with us. This is David Icke from davidike.com, author of The Phantom Self and The Perception Deception. And you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. From ground zero to the secret teachings. 
Keep your dial tuned to Ground Zero Radio. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm a last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. If you enjoy the secret teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. This is one of the best discussions I've been on in a long time. You guys are right on it. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. If anyone can hear this broadcast, I'm still on Earth. This is the frequency of Ground Zero Radio, Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis, and The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable. Jared Murphy is our guest this evening. I'm Ryan Gable, your host. Jared was sharing with us information about the Galt site, one of the 19 sites in North America with a Mastodon kill site. Below the Clovis part of what they've investigated, they found a floor 20,000 years old, estimated, maybe older than that. And Jared, you were saying about 3% of the area has actually been uh, dug up and looked at. So that leaves a lot more to find. And uh, that's GALT, G-A-U-L-T, correct, for people that want to look it up? Yep, that is correct. G-A-U-L-T, GALT site. All right, if you'd like to proceed, though, go ahead and, and, and tell us more about the uh, the floor that was found, 20,000 years old. Yeah, and there's, um, you know, they have ours on their website, um, but they do... Um, they do do tours and it's, uh, because the site is on a floodplain. Um, I find this all very interesting. I think the tour and its place in our history is very important. Um, with these various activities, it was a manufacturer site where they are, um, like this stone floor. There could be many more. It could be a stone floor to a building. Uh, it's not, don't think mosaics 
for everyone out there, if you're thinking Pompeii, that's not what this 20,000 year old floor looks like. It looks up at this point, it looks very primitive, but it is a made stone floor and it could be part of uh, a larger group of dwellings. It could be part of um, just a single home and or a place of work. They don't know because one of the problems is the site. Uh, there were some archaeological international congresses recently that the that the founders were at, and there were people from France and all over the world who were like, "Oh my gosh, you're at Galt. And there were Americans who were like, "Where?" I mean, there's <laughs> um, the site is important, but it was the co-founders themselves that had to preserve and purchase the land from homeowners who allowed it to be purchased and put into a preserve. But the reality is that funding needs to be given to it. There have been politicians. And ironically, the week before we got there, uh, it looked like Joe Rogan and uh, Graham Hancock were trying to schedule a visit. Together? Yeah. Yeah, they were going to, you know, and the, the, they were talking about it with us. And, you know, it's interesting. You have such a diverse uh, yin and yang in the schools of archaeology. You know, you have, and, and I was talking about this with, a, you know, um, with one of my other cohorts and all this research. And he's a high school science teacher. But part of it is to, to go from, here's the catch for everyone listening. Like, how do we keep running into this story over and over. Like, how do we not know about this? Why is it an updated faster? Because we don't treat archaeological news like we treat, what we should do is treat news that's about educational things that shift our paradigms. We should treat it like we treat the stock market. It should have as much, well, it should have legitimacy <laughs> and it should be checked. Certainly. But, but the speed by which we transfer knowledge in the field into the and into the educational system is so backwardly slow. You have people working, you know, frequently off of information that's in no less than 20 to 70 years old. And that's problematic, whether it's you being, despite some new uh, specialties and becoming a doctor or a researcher, if you only know things that are really old or set in a certain way, you only see what you're looking for. And if you're not open to something new, or if you're not open to another version of, of, of a find, or if you're not thinking outside of what got you an A in your dissertation, then you might miss something in the field that you're not expecting to find. And that and that's typical between the Galt site. Um, the idea that the reason I brought the science teacher is because the, the translation between the Galt co-finders, uh, the Galt uh, site is one of, I mean, this is not an early career thing. This is a site that's being run by gentlemen that are known throughout the world to do archaeological massive digs around the world, Mayan cities in Guatemala. You know, they, they've been shot at. They've had to work with multiple governments. They've worked out of country for, you know, decades and worked internationally. And there's a translation loss between when you know you have a site, that there are many, many things below Clovis, to put together a curriculum and translate that into a school system or translate that the only, this is your, this is why your show and us talking about this is really invaluable to everyone listening is because it just, it just doesn't make it into forget getting into a school system, let alone the mainstream vernacular. And there's just apparently not enough sensationalism for a lot of shows. Well, we're doing a documentary on it, but the, uh, 
the information, there's enough to make a curriculum that even from an elementary into a mid, you know, teen, you know, middle school age range, you can easily include Gulp and Weyotlaco, Mexico. And, and there are so many sites from America Stonehenge across Canada. There are many, many researchers that, and here's the other sad part. There are researchers like Virginia C. McIntyre, and, and there's a researcher in Canada that was noting that there are societies that were here tens of thousands of years prior to Clovis, that period, about twelve or 13,000 years ago. And they got, you know, they got strung out to dry for it. So now we don't have legitimate, uh, respected mainstream archaeologists who are saying kind of things that go against the grain, like things you and I want to interview people and talk to people about. Meanwhile, you have science teachers like Wayne that are like, hey, give us a curriculum and we'll teach it and we'll put it before a board and we'll do it. But there's there's this lost in translation moment. So for those that want to not only go out and scratch their heads and, and, and visit some of these sites, I think it's a worthy endeavor for those listening that know administrative educators where it's like, okay, well, we have legitimate proof in the pudding field work that is ready to be taught and it's just not making it into the educational system. Yeah, I don't. I, I know that a lot of people will immediately believe that that's a result of a conspiracy or that it's solely about money. I, I think that those things could could all be grouped together, and I think that there's a lot of reasons, a lot of uh, factors that play into this. Um, I, I don't necessarily want to yeah. get get into the details of it, but I, I I don't think that we can simply say that that's a result of some grand conspiracy. I personally don't believe that it, that it is. I think it's a result of this being a, a mammoth task to unearth the past, and we things will change over time. Things might work into curriculums, but you know, generally speaking, there's a narrative that's upheld. There is money involved, and a lot of it is just we'd have to rewrite history books every day if we updated them to 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 align with what's being discovered, what's being published, what's being uncovered. Absolutely, it's just um, it's an interesting paradigm. It's an interesting. Um position it's this loop that this infinite loop that we're we're seemingly stuck in so on one hand it's exciting hey you can get out and get to these sites they're worth visiting uh it's so interesting you know wherever you are in the country and 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 then to be able to go not only be present to where people have been living and moving and trading and fighting and dying for tens of thousands of years it's so fascinating to think about these trade routes, these primitive trade routes. And again, I say primitive, not in the lineal path of as we've known our history to say, look, there's clearly this progression up to where we are today on this technology we're recording and talking to everyone on. I'm, I'm saying that these routes like the Gulf to America's Stonehenge and the Carnes that I went and visited in the Upton uh, chamber that, that, that there is clearly again, indications of primitive peoples living while very large megalithic ancient things were built that also, um, you know, they're just not the same primitive technologies. They're like the Baghdad battery. You know, they found 12, up to 12 Baghdad batteries. And, you know, they date to about 3,000 years ago. Because I know um, when you're talking about interesting societal crossovers, and this is about a more advanced society living alongside primitive people that clearly have their trade routes and their things and uncovering the human story. And part of it I know is talking about things that are buried underwater. And I know that's something you wanted to bring up 
And that's why I brought up the Baghdad battery because it dates to you know, Iraq. And it, um, you know, they call it the Baghdad battery, but it had nothing to know, do with what we know of Iraq. But it's a, it's a technology that has to do with plating metals. And it dates to a period where you have a lot of cities and a lot of places that, like we already just talked about, there's only so many archaeologists that can do so much work. And, you know, there are sites that are underwater and they're contemporary. And I know, I don't know if this is a good place for that one, but I think the relationship between our ability to locate a site, fund the research, like Galt, only 3% dug up. So wouldn't it be great if we had enough uh, public interest to help the preservation and the founders of the society get the budget to not just buy supplies, but to get the budget to pay for enough people to start digging so we can know more accurately our past and what we as human, you know, just as humanity is moving forward today. It's like we need cures to diseases and things where I think a lot of it is partially in unlocking not just our history where we were and how we lived, but there's a mystery to our genome. And I think part of it becomes uh, more complete and more focused if we do know our history and not just the ruins and the bones we find, but uh, we're analyzing this down, especially at the Galt site where, you know, you have to recover it uh, between seasons because of floodplain issues. You have to recover areas so they don't get ruined by water. And now we're able to use sedimentary DNA uh, analysis. We're talking just like exactly what it sounds like. They're able to identify flora and fauna and different, uh, like, you know, in the Denise even caves, they were able to do sedimentary DNA analysis and find 127 species of, that was on Science Daily. That, that's a, pub, that's a, a published paper on, hey, we found in the, in the sand of the ground, well, here's how many animals we identified, here's how many plants, and here's what else we've identified in reference to the Denisovan DNA system. And sedimentary DNA testing in Europe, in the Atlantic, literally in salt water, but in Doggerland, which was this entire continental area that is, again, kind of... That's one, that's one that listeners should look up if you've never heard of that. Can you spell that for people? D-O-G-G-E-R land. Just like Disneyland, except Dogger, Dodger Doggerland. D-O-G-G-E-R-L-A-N-D. And this, this is relevant because if Galt was a primitive trade route 20,000 plus years ago, and who knows how big this area was, and there's also people there taking out mastodons, among other things. And the Doggerland, even 6,000 years ago, so even 5,000, uh, quite a bit of it was above water. But basically, all of France, from the edge of France to England, all the way to Scotland, all of it was above water. So much of it was above water. What you have, for sure, in, in pre-biblical flood, so antediluvian times, you have a massive continental area that if the Americas was populated with hundreds of thousands or millions of people, so was Doggerland. And sedimentary nuclear DNA testing, uh, shout out to Idaho, maybe, they have the ability now, and, and, and it wasn't like they came up with it yesterday. This has been an ongoing, like over the last 10 years, I think it's really accelerated. I, I couldn't speak to the details of the technology, but what it does, it allows scientists to take where sometimes they 
you know, archaeologists and they learn, they find a new site, they dig it up, you know, gets oxidized, exposed to air when it hasn't been, maybe it's been, you know, underwater or, or preserved in a in some way where the oxygen and air hasn't, bacteria hasn't touched it, then there's sometimes they'll dig up a bone and it literally turns to powder and they think, well, now I don't have any more information. Well, now they can literally do it from atoms. They can do it from dust. And particularly, it means then that 20,000 years ago, Doggerland was fully above water. And how do the societies that were building in Galt and the oldest thing at Amer- at the oldest thing they found at America's Stonehenge in New Hampshire, Salem, is a campfire from uh, against a wall, a serpent wall, by the way. Exactly, not, I mean, not an effigy mound, but there there are many serpent walls, not colonial, but walls that were very primitive that seem to be mimicking coiled snakes, um, you know, arching backs, like maybe even sea serpents. But there was a fire that they were able to carbon date that was over 7,000 years old. There's OSL dating, and, and, and again, how it relates is we have this site that I always tell people to screenshot everything, but the Gobekli Tepe site, you got and the that's, site that... That's only 5% unearthed. Yeah, yep. And they, they originally, when I started, I didn't care or know. When I started doing research on that six, six years ago now, they're like, yeah, it's it's fifteen, eighteen, maybe twenty six thousand years old. You know, they were they were willing to tiptoe out there. And then what's so odd, Ryan, is the vernacular turned into, well, it's at least twelve thousand years old, really, because Galt's twenty. You already said that this site could be twenty or more. Doggerland is was above water at least twenty. There's all sorts of strange stuff still above water, let alone underwater between Scotland and Ireland and, and England and Wales. I mean, you're you're well. There's other groups, but the point is you're not going to be able to avoid a narrative that includes possibly hundreds of millions of humanity living, you know, globally in a connected traveling system where we are unraveling that there is solid indications of Irish monks coming to America in the New England area. And these are, I say Irish monks because the Irish monks predated the Vikings. And then the Vikings came, and you have uh, prior, you do have the Phoenicians, you have the Chinese traveling all up and down the west of all of North America, South, Central and South. You have it linguistically in cities, in languages, and then you even have it in the, the father of South American archaeology is Max Uli, and he's a German archaeologist, and I included this speech that he was giving about the history of archaeology in in the Americas and that's in my book which is actually for everyone listening yes it's not aliens worse it's us that is being re-released to coincide with my in-person lecture which I will have tickets of for on not aliens but it's it's the new book will be coming out so don't go looking for the old book there are some resellers out there kind of gouging people for like I've been with, getting feedback with my book too yeah with my book too well, my books. Yeah. So don't go out and buy Ryan's or my books for $150. Don't do that. Don't. But they, um, uh, Max Uli recognizes that the Chinese, like it was known, like these, these vernaculars go, or these paradigm shifts happen in the world of archaeology where archaeologists, Max, the father of South American archaeology, literally gives a lecture, very important lecture. And well, and he gave lots of lectures and he, and he did lots of field work. But one of the things he stated was, 
well, we know the Chinese were in South America and Central, and they literally he states it states it back then. Oh yeah, and it appears that they were also killing mastodons or mammoths down here. And I mean, he he's talking about this a hundred and you know nine years ago, and now there's this like missing. Um, the, there's there's a missing link in archaeology, and there's a lot there's a there's so much that is just totally dismissed that is is relatively easy to access for the public. Like you can find books and statements and things that have documented uh, stuff that yeah. otherwise would be just left out of the the curriculum. For, I, I want to hit a few points here because we only have a few minutes left. But I mean, I learned, and this is in my book, Occult Arcana. I learned a long time ago because I studied uh, anthropology and some other things. Uh, similarly related comparative religions, et cetera. And I learned that the Egyptians thousands of years ago had a practice, sort of a famous practice. They would strike the head of the Pharaoh or the priest when they died, and that was supposed to release the soul, and then it would go up into the heavens. More complex than that, but s- simplistically speaking. And they called that the opening of the of the head or the opening of the mouth ceremony. And I learned separately in a different book, a completely different author, that in South America, there was a very similar practice. And that practice used a tool called Peshenkif, I think was how you pronounce it. And it means to open the mouth. And it was the tool was based on the same practice the Egyptians were using on the other side of the world. So it's, it's a connection not only between pyramids and temples and megalithic sites. It's a connection between uh, those kinds of religious-like beliefs. It's a connection between mythologies. Yeah, cultures are different. We build differently. But we see the world in a very similar way. And if you've got these cultures that are connected thousands, tens of thousands of years ago, uh, we find any, so much proof of that. It's, I find ludicrous. I assume you do too, Jared. It's ludicrous that we can't, we can't come to a, an agreement that it's, it's much more likely that what we might call alternative or forbidden archeology span is really the, the true archeology span and what we've, either been taught directly through school or what we kind of assume is nothing more than a, than a, an insult to true uh, archaeology and academia. And, and with that being said, I, I want to add that technology also, we think of it as computers, right? And things that are technologically, you know, the digital things like that. But I mean, if you look back in history, we know of Puma Punku and Machu Picchu, but you know, about a year and a half ago, I learned about this place and correct me if I'm wrong in pronouncing it, it's on the island of Malta called Gigantija. And it's just got this big like door that was built on like, I think it's on like a ball pivot. I learned about that and I thought I've never heard that in any TV show or documentary. And I kept reading and I learned about the Jean Pyramid years ago and, you know, there's non-Madal and it's just literally everywhere you look, everywhere, even your own backyard is littered with evidence of ancient very advanced human civilization that ultimately was very likely to have been linked up in one or more capacities with each other all over the globe. And it almost feels like there's a, if there is a conspiracy, it's, it's to prevent us from recognizing that there was this ancient, uh, uh, human, uh, connectivity. And, uh, I'm not sure why that conspiracy would exist, but regardless of, of, of that point of that argument, uh, again, the proof is in front of us, and we see it every single day if we pay attention to it. And that brings me to my my final point, and then I'll let you have a, a final comment as well, Jared, on, on this stuff. Um, I read this article the other day. Did you hear about the uh, the? It's like sixteen hundred feet below the ice in Antarctica. 
that these scientists found all this new forms of these different forms of life. Did you read about that about a week ago? No. Yeah, this, so this, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I just know, I know that there were some in Belize and there was a few places where they had those like blackened uh, sub-oceanic uh, sinkholes where they found life at the bottom of those that they had never seen. Oh yeah, and so it's, it's, it's all the time. They, they found this, this is the new story, the new story is the Larsen Ice Shelf. And this story makes no reference to a, dis- I remembered it, so I went and looked it up, December 2021, the Estrom Ice Shelf, or Extrum Ice Shelf, where they also get into the ice and they total darkness place. They don't think anything can survive. And they found an abundance of life there as well. And then you find at Lake Vostok, they found all this thousands of different species of life. It's not just like ancient history, ancient, you know, archeological sites, monuments, statues, uh, you know, even like cuneiform tablets. It's also new forms of life that we're discovering that are also in our backyard. There's so much, so much to explore, so much to discover. And, and my note on that is it, it only came up recently, but one of the things I love to bash on just because it's such an arrogant, hubristic, ignorant, ridiculously stupid thing is the Georgia Guidestone. And I don't find them mysterious. I don't find them interesting, but I feel like they're a crowning capstone on what you just, I think, perfectly illustrated. And Michael Cremo talks about in Forbidden Archaeology, which is, for 40 years, we've discovered annually 33 to over 5,000 living things a year that we did not know lived on this planet that are alive. Um, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago when they found that otter swimming down. It was like as big as a damn seal, and it's in the Amazonian River. And they're like, we thought this was extinct. I mean, it's an otter the size of a seal. And they said, we thought this was extinct. Um, one of the things was pointed out to me at the Gulf site they have now found mastodons killed as early as 5,000 years ago. Mastodons living not 20 or 30,000 years ago, but 5,000 years ago. And so we have guidestones that say, well, you know, we're really overpopulated. The entire human population given one acre could live in about two and a half Texases. Okay. For everyone listening, uh, you can look on, there's some internet stuff you could look up where you could learn how to do a sustainable farm that makes so much food on two acres, you could do two fifty to 300000 a year just in making food off of two acres. But give every human being one acre, round the human population to, a billion, uh, to eight billion, they would still fit in about two and a half Texases. We are not overpopulated. We don't know what lives on this planet. We don't know how many species are alive. We do not know how they all work together. We do not understand ancient biotechnologies where we've looked at, um, again, cuts in the human genome, the way certain species live. Uh, There's been plenty of books talking about, well, there's plenty of, there's quite a bit on the octopus. There are quite a bit about some sea creatures where when you look at, or the platypus, there are things that we've, that like, why do these things exist? How do you have so many brains and so many hearts? And this stuff just doesn't seem like it's a, some of it, it's not about conspiracy. It's just some of it, it's so misunderstood, not understood, doesn't exist. And if you're discovering 3,000 things a year, how dare you put up some stones that says, you know how many mosquitoes and humans should be on a planet and that you know what this world is about. Those, that is a capstone on either hubris, ignorance, 
a combo of both or arrogance. And I think that as we find these things and we table what we find, we can't help but want to dig deeper or keep bringing it to everyone's attention because I think it helps unravel the who, what, where, when, and why of who we were, are, and where we're going versus, well, there's a book or two you can believe in. And if, and if you believe really good, then, you know, you might, you might get somewhere or you might want to start killing people or, you know, getting people out of your life because they don't believe what you believe. And it's like, oh my gosh, we don't even know what lives on the planet. It's just... <laughs> Well, and the and the and the religious dogma that always is a, is attacked and assaulted as this this strong bias that rejects everything. Scientific dogma is very much the same. If it doesn't fit into a certain preconceived notion of what it should be, then it's dismissed. And I mean, I, yep. again, we're finding things like uh, you sent me this article earlier about the human fossils found in this uh, this cave, uh, a World Heritage Site of UNESCO. They originally estimated a couple million years old. Now they say it's a, these are a million or so years older than they previously suspected, putting them toward the beginning rather than the end of the Austro, uh, Austro, I can never pronounce it, Australopithecus period. And then, of course, this place in, uh, in Iraq, uh, the Tigris River, this 3,400-year-old Mitanni Empire-era city. A multi, they had a, this is a quote, multi-storage building uh, um, uh, is a, they call it a monumental multi-storage building and this massive complex. And it, it was just in the, in the, the reservoir and the water dried up and here's this new discovery. And it's not that people need to be fascinated with every single new discovery. It's just that this new discovery, that new discovery starts to change our history. And I agree with you. I, I, I do this show because I want to bring this information to, to the public, to my audience and especially when we have, you know, Roswell coming up and all this discussion about UFOs, I don't know how we're going to go forward and make contact with aliens and all that stuff if we don't understand who we are and where we came from. And if we, we don't stop believing that every single pyramid is built by aliens, I'm not saying that that's not possible or it's not interesting and entertaining. We're never going to be, underst- be able to understand who we are today and understand what human ingenuity can actually accomplish. Uh, we've only got about a minute, but if you have a final comment, Jared, thank you so much for coming on the show. Jared Murphy, the book, It's Not Aliens, Worse, It's Us. Don't buy it for $500. That's not how much it is. There's a revamp of it coming out. Yep, September 24th, um, and sales will be on notaliens.com, too. To, if, you, if people want to come meet me, I will be lecturing at America's Stonehenge, um, and then uh, we'll be doing a tour of the site. So, good times. Sounds great. Again, thank you for coming onto the broadcast. There are literally so many things we didn't talk about that it's unfathomable. And I'm sure someone's going to say he didn't talk. Jared didn't talk about this. He's covering it up. I assure you, Jared's not covering it up. (laughs) Anyway, Jared, thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. You have a good night. All right. You too. All right. Jared Murphy, the website one more time. What was that? It's not aliens dot. Oh, it's just notaliens.com or not aliens on YouTube. Notaliens.com. I mean, maybe it is aliens. Maybe some of it's aliens. I don't know. Maybe we're aliens. I don't know. It's fun for thought, food for thought. Uh, it's entertaining. But while we focus on Roswell and everybody's interested in late night radio and Roswell, there's a lot more that I think is just as fascinating here on Earth that didn't crash down. It was born here and we built it. And I think humans did it more so than I think aliens did it. 
www.thesecretteachings.info is the website. Please subscribe to our archive. We are growing. You as an audience are growing. I want to thank Ground Zero Radio for having us. Coming on after Clyde Lewis, Monday through Friday, 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific. I probably won't, but I'm going to... Tr- I might. I don't know. I might drive out to the UFO Festival in Roswell here from Tucson. It's like seven hours. You know, gas is $5 a gallon. I don't, I don't know. I, I might drive out there. Maybe I'll see you out there. If not, I'll talk to you Thursday and Friday the rest of this week. Today is June 29th, 2022. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you on the next broadcast. We'll be right back.